Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. If you need a Bible, raise up your hand. We'll get one to you. I want you all to follow along closely to see these things with your own eyes. Exodus 20. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Father, as we open up your word this morning, we pray for insight and revelation. We pray for wisdom, Lord. We pray for understanding. In this first and seemingly simple commandment, and we shall have no other gods before you. Father, convict us in our hearts. Give us clear vision to see all the other gods sprinkled around us in the world. And draw us away from them powerfully, Father. And only to your heart, dear Lord. And as we study this, Lord, I, I pray for, for clear thinking. For clarity, for understanding. That we will all walk out of here having delved into these things and seen your heart for us even better. Bless this time of study. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe the Lord wants us to take these Ten Commandments two ways. I believe He wants us to take them personally and seriously. And I believe this because if you look at the first two verses... A couple of things jump out. In verse 2, he says, I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. Your God. That word, your, is not a plural word. It's not a word that's used for like all the people. Like he's saying, I'm your pastor. Speaking to everyone generically and in general. It is a singular form of the word. I'm the Lord, your God. It's what you would say to one person, one-on-one. I'm the Lord, your God. God wants us to take Him personally. Personally. I'm not Pastor Rick's God, and I'm not just the Bridges God or Christianity's God. I'm your God. Oh, He's all those things. He is certainly my God. And He is certainly the God of Christianity and the Bridges God. But He wants you to know Him, and He wants to be your God personally. I saw a bumper sticker several years ago. Actually, it was given to me, and I love this. It says on it, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. (laughs) And the great thing about that is it's true. We could all take that same bumper sticker, put it on our cars, drive out of here today, and it would be true. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. And I am. And you are. He says, I am the Lord, your God. I saw something. I was jotting this down a second ago that I've never seen before. I want you to see this. It's not even in my notes. It's not up there on the, on the screen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, as Frank was reading this, jumped off the page. Tells us, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully. Listen to this, just as I also have been fully known. Wow. I am fully known. There is somebody who knows me better than anybody in the world, and it's not my wife. It's not my parents. It's not my closest friends. I am fully known. 
There is one who knows me so intimately, so personally, that he even knows me better than I know myself. Those of you young people who aren't in relationships right now, I know that back before I met and and married my wife, when I was just a single high school guy, eyes wide open, you know, looking around for the right girl. Part of the reason I wanted to meet the right girl was I wanted someone to know me. I wanted someone to kind of share life with me and understand me and and feel for me and have compassion for me and put up with me, as, as Frank shared. To be fully known, I think it's at the heart of each one of us. And God says right at the beginning of the commandments, I am the Lord your God. Take it personally. Don't look around and go, oh, I wonder who this commandment's for this morning. Wonder who's talking to you today. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. He wants you to take him personally. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Emphasis on the word love. Take it personally. Secondly, I believe he wants you to take it seriously. God says before he begins, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. Before God opens up with the first single command, he reminds the people, I brought you out of slavery and I do not intend for you to return. I don't intend for you to go back. These ten commands are not to re-enslave you. You came from that. You had that in Egypt. I pulled you out of that. I'm not giving you these commands to put you back into slavery. Take them seriously. 1 John 5.3 A great verse we've seen a couple of times here recently. It's a good one to know in your heart. For this is the love of God. That we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Not burdensome. You're not heading back to Egypt when you open up the pages of God's ten commands. You are heading into freedom. God wants you to take these things personally. He wants you to take these things seriously. Because the Ten Commandments provide, as we talked about last week, the framework for authentic freedom. So take it to heart. Take it seriously as we study this morning. Now, personally for me, I believe the most freeing commandment, the one that brings the, the most liberty to life, is the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. Read that with me. Verse 3. Let's read that together. You shall have no other gods before me. Let me give you one more chance to say it loudly. You shall have no other gods before me. If we could get our arms around this commandment, I believe, I'm convinced, the rest of the ten would fall into line. If we could grasp this one, you shall serve no other gods. We could get this. The other nine would follow. For contained in this clear and simple phrase are three thoughts worth jotting down I'm going to give you today. Three thoughts. And if you're a note taker, you can jot these down and follow along. It's kind of an outline. A foundation, a proclamation, and a determination. A foundation, a proclamation, and a determination. First one, a foundation. A foundation. You shall have no other gods before me. Now understand, before I tell you exactly what the foundation is, that the issue is not atheism. He's not talking about atheism. David would later address atheism. And David would put it this way in the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Psalm 10, verse 4. David said, The wicked, in the haughtiness of his countenance, does not seek him. All his thoughts are, There is no God. David also says in Psalm 14.1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. That's 
be clear about what the Bible says regarding atheism. It's just plain stupid. It's foolish. It's ridiculous. It is a mindless philosophy. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor. I have some friends who are atheists. That's not being very nice. No, but it's being very true. It's what the Bible says. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. The person who has not thought this through, the person who just wants to go their way and do what they want to do, says there's no God. The fool says there is no God. And yet, this mindless philosophy has been given tenure in America's colleges and universities, hasn't it? It has a very solid footing in our university system. You realize how many fools are teaching in our colleges, according to the Bible? If atheism is foolish, if the fool says in his heart there is no God, how many professors stand up week in and week out? Fools who are teaching our kids who are headed off to college. Parents, I want to encourage you, equip your kids. Equip them before they go. I have gotten so many emails within two to three months of kids going off to college for the first time saying, Rick, give me some verses. Give me something to help me. i got this professor who's eating me alive. And I send back, well, he's just a fool. Foolish. Mindless. But the foolishness of atheism is not the question here. It's not what's being dealt with here. The problem in the land in the day was not lack of belief in God. It was belief in too many gods. It was polytheism. There were gods everywhere. And what's interesting is God is preparing, he's equipping the people of Israel to go to a place that is going to be full of gods. And so he starts out, before they ever get to Canaan's land, he starts out saying, you shall have no other gods before me. Guess what, Israel? You're going to meet some other gods. You're going to run into a lot of people who claim belief, faith in other gods, polytheism. Let me share just a few of these so-called gods and see if they sound familiar in our world today because I believe they're alive and well in our world today. And here they are. Number one, Baal. Baal. You, you know Baal. I'm sure you know people who worship Baal today. I do. Well, Baal is the god of power. He's the god who, it was believed, hurled lightning bolts from heaven. You'll see Baal later dethroned and his priests defrocked by Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. It's a great story. Oh, oh Baal, send down fire from heaven and light this altar. And Elijah the prophet, it's great, he taunts the prophets of Baal. He says, well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe, maybe he's just you know, in the back room having a little nap. And so the prophets cry out even more for Baal and they cut themselves and they bleed on the altar and saying, Baal, send fire from heaven. And Elijah says, maybe he's in the bathroom. Or reading a magazine or something. Maybe he just can't get here right now. Ultimately, you know the story. God sends fire from heaven and licks up the entire altar that is doused in water with water all around it. There's only one God and Baal is not him. But Baal is still worshipped today. He's been updated for our culture, but he takes the form of power ties and power lunches and power players on Wall Street. He is present in the power of the political arena, and the hunger for and worship of power is alive and well on planet Earth. Do not be deceived. People worship Baal today. They may not call him Baal, but power draws them. You know what I understand in my life? I'm just starting to figure this out. I am powerless. My son this morning, my wife and, and, and Hayden are not here because Hayden's got a 104 temperature. And it's the fourth time in about four or five months that this has come around. 
104 temperature, headache, no other symptoms. So pray for him if you would. But I was sitting there as, as Frank was talking about the love of God and, and, and I was trying to get my heart on, focused on Jesus and I kept thinking about Hayden down there, Hayden down there, and suddenly realized that God went through a much more passionate ordeal with his son who died. But I just feel powerless. I can't do anything. We can take him to the emergency room and spend 500 bucks for the doctor to go, well, I don't know what's going on. Have you tried aspirin? Powerless. I can't do anything. I can rub his little head. I can tell him stories. I can tuck him in. But I can't change what's happening right now. And as, as a dad, parents, you know what I'm saying. It's frustrating. I'm powerless. And it is a reminder to me that there really is only one power and it's not Baal and it's not in my hands. It's the power of God. Well, there was another God alive and well in the time of of the Israelites heading toward Canaan, Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth, the goddess of pleasure, the many-breasted goddess of sensuality, actually. Pretty disgusting idol if you ever want to look up a picture of Ashtaroth in a dictionary or an encyclopedia. Frightening. Worship in the high places. People would sneak off up there. Israelites later on would get caught up in the worship of Ashtaroth. They would sneak up to these groves of trees in high places in the darkness where they didn't think anyone was looking for a little sensuality, a little pleasure. And Ashtaroth is still around today. This time she's in the form of internet pornography or more acceptable Victoria's Secret catalogs that grace so many Christian coffee tables. Or the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Guys, you thought you were going to get off easy on that one. The goddess of pleasure is alive and well and still entices and just turn on the TV and look at any number of reality shows and you know that Ashtaroth is doing her thing today. Well, what about Mammon? Mammon's another god. The god of prosperity. Jesus actually talked about him. Matthew 6.24 saying, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. Mammon. It's also translated in some Bibles, money, wealth. You can't serve both. Mammon was an actual god that was worshipped in Canaan. And he represented wealth and money. But listen, Mammon is not just a problem for the rich and well-off. The god of money easily entangles anyone, rich or poor, who worries about money. If you're worried about money, Mammon is creeping in, gang. If you're thinking about money, if you're concerned, let's step back and place it back in the hands of the God who is in control. Gang, what we desire, we eventually worship. And what we worship eventually controls us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's what money will bring you. You're going to get pierced. You're going to be grieved. It will draw you away from the truth. It's funny how often pastors will clearly point out that it's the love of money and not money itself that's the source of all evil. And we all sit back and go, good. As long as I don't love it, I can get it. (laughs) The line there is awfully gray, folks. It's awfully gray. Well, mammon is still more powerful today, I believe, as an entity than ever before. A quick test to see if mammon has hold on you and your life is how tight is your hold on your money? That's an easy test. How much am I holding on? How much am I clinging to it? 
Is mammon alive and well? Possibly. What about another god here? The fourth one, Molech. Molech could be called the god of pragmatism and practicality or the god of success. He is the god who begged this question, what are you willing to do for success? What are you willing to do to get ahead? How much are you willing to trust me to make it happen for you? Now, to gain Molech's favor, worshippers were taught to take newborn babies live little babies and put them into clay pots and fasten the lid tight on the top of the pot. The clay pot would then be actually built into the walls of a home, a shop, or a place of business where the baby would eventually die. This is how people worship Molech. Because if they did that, place the pot in there, well, I'm trusting Molech, and he's going to make my place of business, my home, a success. And we think, oh, that's that's sick. That's wrong. That could never happen today. Really. What would you do today to achieve success? Sorry, son. I've got to put you in this jar until I achieve the success I set out to achieve. Uh, Sorry, sweetheart. I really don't have time for you right now. I'm building a home. I'm working on a business. My success is more important. And so I'm going to put you in this jar and place you in the walls of my home. How many kids are forgotten by their parents because their parents are busy worshipping Molech? Oh, maybe not Molech in name, but Molech in success. Chasing after this other god. Gang, archaeologists have unearthed clay pots today containing small bones. They've also unearthed something else that is even more disgusting, unbelievable, having to do with Molech. There was a place, gang, in Canaan's land called the Valley of Topet. Topet means drumming. The Valley of Drumming because they would play these drums while children were being sacrificed to the idol of Molech. Let me tell you quickly how they did this. They had a huge idol to Molech in the Valley of Topet. And this idol had outstretched arms and a belly that was a furnace. And the arms would get incredibly scorching hot. And parents would bring their newborn children and place them in the arms of Molech where they would sizzle and die. And we think, that's disgusting, that's awful, that's sick. How could that ever happen today? It does happen today. 1.5 million babies are burned with saline every year. And it's called abortion. And it's a sacrifice to Molech. I don't have time for a child right now. I've got my life to live first. I didn't want to get pregnant. I don't want to have a son. And a sacrifice is made. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 31 tells us the following. It says, They have built the high places of Topet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, and it did not come into my mind, the Lord says. The valley of Topet was also called the valley of Hinnom, or Gehenna. Gehenna. You've heard that word used before, used in the New Testament, referring literally to hell. The valley of Gehenna was the burning valley. The reason why Gehenna is the word for hell is because of the burning that went on there. The horrors that happened there. And Jesus says, that's what hell is like. Only much worse. People may seek after other gods, but there are no other gods. That's the foundation. People may seek after other gods, but there are no other gods. Ashtoreth, not real. Baal, not real. Molech doesn't really exist. Mammon, no. 
No such gods, only one God. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus said in John 10.8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers. What do thieves and robbers do? They steal from you. They take your life. Now you may say, well, if there are no such thing as these other gods, then who are these thieves and robbers that came before Jesus? My friends, real demonic forces are at work in the world. It's true. There are demons. And Satan is active and alive on planet Earth. And what people chase after in terms of other gods or other deities or even other things other than God are demonically led. 1 Timothy 4.1 tells us the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And the Bible wouldn't talk about doctrines of demons if there were no such thing as demons. So there are no other gods than the one true God, but there are demons, there are spiritual forces, there are principalities hard at work to draw us away from the Lord. But Jesus says, John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Pretending to be gods, there are multiple spirits who serve one purpose together and to lead everybody down into the valley of Hinnom to see us fry in Gehenna. But Jesus would say, John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I hope I'm painting a clear picture for you here of the dramatic contrast between following Jesus who brings life and eternity and joy and love and following any of these other so-called gods who lead us to hell. It's that clear a choice. It is black and white, then. And I didn't write it. This is what the Lord tells us, wants us to see. So the foundation of this first commandment is that although people will seek after other gods, there is no other God but the Lord. He's the only one. Declaration. Flip in your Bibles to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. The book of Isaiah is right about in the middle of your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 46. A declaration that comes from with, with this first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Isaiah 46, verse 1. It tells us the following. Bel, which is another word for Baal, it's the same, same God. Bel has bowed down. Nebo, who is the God of wisdom, Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome, a load for the weary beast. They stooped over. They have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me, O Jacob. All the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it and I will carry you and I will bear you and I will deliver you. To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we would be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on the scale hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. They bow down. Indeed, they worship it. They lift it upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Here's the problem, by the way, with other gods. You have to carry them. You have to carry them. He talks right here about Nebo and, and Bel. 
and how they're formed into gold and fashioned. And then the people would have to bear them, carry them, walk around with them. They became a weight, a burden for the people. Our gods of power and human wisdom must be nurtured and cared for and sacrificed to and carried. Our stocks and investments, our businesses, our success, anything that's more important to us, the master of our passion, these things we have to carry. We have to nurture. We've got to be there. I'm sorry, honey. I've got to go in tonight. Otherwise, it's not going to get done without me. And I become so wrapped up carrying my other gods, my master passion. But that's not the declaration. Read on. The last part of verse 7 tells us, Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Here's the declaration. There comes a day in every life when we discover there are no other gods who can save us. Not only you shall have no other gods before me, but no other gods before me can save you. No one can do it. You can cry out to the gods you've worshipped. You can hope your business will win for you. But it will not answer. What happens when things go wrong in your life? When trouble comes? When the market crumbles or the cancer is inoperable? When the spouse is lost or the dream is dead? When the kids are going off in heartbreaking directions? When everything we've sunk our lives into falls apart? God says those gods are not there for you. They cannot deliver you. They cannot bear you. They cannot lift you up. Only one God can do that. And I say, Molech, help me. Ashtaroth, comfort me. Baal, rescue me. Mammon, support me. And they do not answer. There is only silence. Only silence. These bogus gods are simply lies who can do nothing again but entice us to the valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, where they burn us every time. Look back at Isaiah 55, uh, 45, verse 22, the chapter before, just above that. Verse 22, God is speaking. Here's our God, the one and only God, the one who would call us to follow and serve Him. And He says, Turn to Me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I've sworn by Myself, the Word has gone forth from My mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, listen to this, that to Me, to Me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Sound familiar? That's a description of Jesus in Philippians 2.10 in the New Testament. But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They will say of me, verse 24, Only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him. All who were angry with him will be put to shame. Declaration, there are no other gods who can serve you. Foundation is there are no other gods, but the declaration is there are no other gods who can save you. All people will one day worship at the feet of the one true living God, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is coming a day, gang, when we will all worship him, whether we choose to or not, because in his presence we can do nothing but worship him. Right now we have the choice. Right now we can choose to bow down before him or not. We can come to the Lord or not. We can, we can accept his grace or we can reject it. We can follow or we can rebel. It's our call. But there is coming a day, the Bible is clear about it, when every single knee will bow. And every tongue will confess, you are Lord, you are Lord. The question is, how are we going to be confessing it? I knew you were Lord, I've always known you were Lord, you are my Lord, you're still my Lord. Or, you are Lord. 
You are Lord. Gang, worshiping Him now results in righteousness. Worshiping Him now results in grace. Bowing to Him today results in salvation. But wait. Bow before Him later and the result is shame and disgrace. Worse, it's eternal separation from God. Again, that's the deal. God declares there are no other gods and those you chase after cannot bear you, carry you, or deliver you. Only I can do that. So there's our foundation. There are no other gods. And the declaration, there are no other gods who can save you. But there's also a determination in the heart of our Father. A determination, and this is my favorite part. Let me just tell you a story here. 1 Samuel chapter 5. I love telling you this story. Some of you have heard me share it before. Some of you have read it before in the scriptures. The Philistines have captured the Ark of God. The Ark that we're going to get to. We're going to be studying very shortly in, in the book of Exodus. That Ark made of acacia wood covered over in gold. It had the two angels, the cherubim on the front with their wings touching up on top in that place called the mercy seat. And inside the Ark was something very interesting, something very precious. The Ten Commandments. Written by the finger of God on stone, the law was inside the ark. And the Philistines had now carried the ark off. They'd stolen it in battle with Israel. And they carried it off to a little town where they take it and they put it in the temple of one of their gods, a god by the name of Dagon. Dagon, their god, who is half man, half fish. Okay? Kind of a fishy god. A merman. And 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, tell us that they placed this Ark of the Covenant belonging to God with the Ten Commandments inside up there right next to Dagon in the temple to Dagon. And the next morning when they walk in there, Dagon is flat on his face. The, the idol has fallen over in the middle of the floor. Oh, that's never happened before. That's a little strange. Again, fishy. Something's going on. They got it. We got to get him back up. So they lift him back up. Oh, it gets worse. They lift him up. And the next morning when they go in, guess what? Dagon is flat on the floor, but this time his hands and his head are cut off. Here today, gone tomorrow. You could say these people were floundering in their paganism. Joke. Sorry. You could say this. You could say that Dagon has been weighed in the scales and been found wanting. Okay. <laughs> Here's the determination, gang. While the Philistines are worshiping their fishy god, they continue, by the way, after this to worship him. They take the ark out and put it on a cart and say, I'll tell you what, let's just let the cart go and maybe it'll get back to Israel. And it does. <laughs> Makes it right back to Israel territory. But they keep worshiping Dagon. But listen to this. Here's the determination. When God says, you shall have no other gods before me, this is wonderful, it's awesome. He's saying, when I am your God, when I am your God, those other gods are going down. If you will make me the God of your temple, the temple of your heart, if you will put me in first place, guess what? All the battles that you're afraid that you're going to have to have with all these other gods in the world, I will take them out for you. When I'm your God, I have the power to do that. I'm going to knock Dagon over on his face and cut off his head. Remove his hands. Mammon, no problem. Molech, I can deal with Molech. Baal, again, ask Elijah. Ashtaroth. Man, are you, are you struggling, guys, any of you, with sensuality? 
with pleasure, with pornography, your number one answer to dealing with that is putting God on the throne. Because He will dethrone that guy. Okay, if you're struggling with money, rich or poor, if you're worried about, concerned about money, put God on the throne. He will deal with that. He will knock down, knock off, take out any of those other gods that we so easily chase after and worship. The answer to our problems in this world is not figuring out a new solution for dealing with finances or sex or anything else. It's going to the Father. It's opening up my heart and saying, God, I cannot do this. I am powerless and I need you in first place. I need you to knock these gods out. Let me into your temple. God would ask, and the so-called gods who may reside there now, I'll knock them over. They will be gone. 1 John 1.5 This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, to bring God into your temple, there's no room for the darkness. And he will edge it out. Isn't that great? And he is determined to do so. In this first commandment is the wonderful declaration that no other gods can be where the one true God is. And that's great news because our hearts and our passion and our worship as they are focused on the one true God, the other gods don't stand a chance. You know, Les and I were talking about this just the other day. It is amazing how few Christians realize this when they get saved. It's incredible how many of us have come to the Lord, have given our lives to God, and they continue to struggle. For years after that, not understanding the power and the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives, on our hearts. He is capable to make you a new person. Paul says the old is gone, the new has come. And yet we sit here as Christians hanging on to the old. Man, the old is still plaguing me. Not according to the Lord. Not according to Jesus. Let me in and I will give you a new life. Christians, today some of you need to accept the new life that you got years ago but you can't seem to get your fingers on. You need to say, Lord, I guess I wasn't sure. I guess I didn't really buy it. I guess no one really told me that the true God, the one living God, has the authority to break all this out of my life and take control. And if you're not a Christian and you're struggling in this world and you're feeling powerless, you have your answer. You shall have no other gods before me. Again, John 8.36 tells us, If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Father, we need desperately for you to be our one true God. We're gathered here, Lord, in this place to worship you because we do believe that you are God, that you are King, that you have all authority. And, and Father, we understand even the point that there are demons in this world, but there are no other real gods. And yet our hearts falter and we chase after things and we lock ourselves away in bondage to lifestyles and behaviors and struggles and, and mental challenges, Father, when we don't have to. We have pain in our past and hurts that cling to us. And we need to be released from those things. And we need you to do it. We beg you to do it. 
whether there are those among us today who have never accepted Jesus as Lord and never given Him the place of authority in the temple of their hearts. God, convict them. Holy Spirit, go to work. Because we know that it's your heart that every single person experienced the freedom that is only found in Christ. The freedom that leads to eternal salvation. This is what I long for in my life. This is what you long for for every one of us, Father. And for so many who are scattered about this island and Hidalgo Island. One and only God, save us. Forgive us. And draw us to you, driving out all the little gods in our lives. 